Welcome to the Bravest Kind Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Schaefer, and I am a firefighter and EMT in the Seattle area. I'm excited you're on this journey with me, and I look forward to sharing stories of brave and vulnerable individuals, as it is my sincere belief that by doing so, it gives us the ability to unlock bravery within ourselves. This is episode 23 of The Bravest Kind, and my guest today is Cody Jones. Cody is a United States Paralympian, professional public speaker, and children's book author. He was born with cerebral palsy, which affects his strength and mobility on his left side. Recognizing early on that he was still 100% human, Cody pursued his love of baseball. His unique style of playing mostly one-handed garnered a lot of attention for Cody. One organization in particular who heard of Cody's baseball exploits was the U.S. Paralympic track and field team. Cody was soon introduced to the javelin, where he began breaking multiple records and representing the United States in major international events, including the Paralympics in Rio in 2016. Cody is an optimist and discusses how the power of hope can allow for moments of good to arise from something otherwise bad. He also credits cerebral palsy for forcing him to face life head-on and grow as an individual. Cody is the definition of bravery, strength, and determination, which can be seen not only through his track and field achievements, but also his mental makeup, where he talks about the importance of training one's mind to ask, not what will happen if things go bad, but to flip the script and ask, what if things go right? Cody will inspire and motivate, all while maintaining grace and humility along the way. A quick reminder before we start today's show. If you have not yet done so, please rate and subscribe to The Bravest Kind on either Apple or Spotify podcasts and share the show with others. Also, if you enjoy this episode, post and tag The Bravest Kind on social media. Find me, Ryan Schaefer, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Cody, thank you so much for joining me today on The Bravest Kind. I'm looking forward to chatting with you and getting to know you a little bit better. Thanks for having me. It's so cool that you you found me. It's pretty cool. It it, it really is. Yeah. So our listeners know uh, this was really one of these crazy moments how I even learned about you. I was on shift at my job as a firefighter and we got called to uh to an apartment where somebody was stuck in an elevator and while we were there trying to uh, get the person out which turned into a pretty long laborious process as it often does when we're uh, trying to get somebody out of a stuck elevator we do what we can but oftentimes we need to call in the pros the service techs and so i got to talking to one of the building managers who is a lifelong buddy of yours. And as we yeah. were talking, somehow my podcast came up and he goes, I've got a guy that you should talk to, a buddy of mine, uh, who is a Paralympian yeah. and uh, also a motivational speaker. And so that is you. And that led me to <laughs> tracking you down through social media. Uh, so yeah, definitely one of those one of those crazy life moments. But uh, I'm glad I found you, man. Yeah, we don't even live in the same state. It worked perfectly, though. Perfectly. It does. I know. The the beauty of technology, right? The fact that we're talking, yeah, you're down in Southern California. Uh, I was just chatting a little bit before we started recording. You said you're right there in Ventura County, just outside of LA. And uh, I'm up here in Seattle. And But here we are, face-to-face on the screen. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. It is. All right. So, Cody, yeah, as as I said, you... 
have a very interesting background. I mean, you're the first Olympian that I've talked to. You actually competed for the United States in the Javelin in the 2016 Paralympics, which were held in Rio. You are also a motivational speaker as well. And we'll get into a lot of that, but I want to go back to the beginning here. And as I said, you compete in the Paralympics and you have cerebral palsy. I'm curious, growing up as a kid, did you consider yourself to have a disability? Yeah, 100%. It it was my medical diagnosis, so that was just reality. But I also kind of think, I I think I know what you're kind of getting at too with your question. Um, I didn't have a a disabled mindset. That that Mm -hmm. wasn't the case growing up. Physically, there's no arguing. I do have a physical disability, cerebral palsy down the left side of my body. Like, um, I, I know if, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see it. I mean, if there's video um, potentially on YouTube, you can see it, but I can't turn my left hand over. Um, my thumb is just a little different, and there's weakness all the way down um, my left side. I like to describe it as my left side um, was born. Captain America before he was Captain America and the right side is obviously as strong as Captain America, literally straight down. And, and so there's no denying that fact that that's my disability left hemiplegia cerebral palsy, a mild case, um, but still a disability. But my mindset was never one to think, Oh, I'm disabled. So I can't, or, Oh, I'm disabled. So my life is miserable or, Oh, I'm disabled. Disability is not, a bad thing. Um, it's just a thing. Um, I love telling the students I get to talk to, or even the adults. It's like, I'm still hundred percent human, just like you're still hundred percent human. Um, so yeah, um, physically had a disability growing up though, didn't have the mindset of, Oh, I can't. Yeah. How about your parents? Do you think they parented you any differently? Like, did they try to coddle or keep you out of situations, or, or on the flip side of that, did they did they push you more? I'm I'm just curious on what their mindset was uh, with you as a, yeah. as a child growing up. Yeah, excellent question. So my mom and my dad they found out when I was a year old that I had cerebral palsy because. Uh, I would crawl weird. Um, uh, before I started crawling, uh, there wasn't too much I would do. I would do everything right-handed, but mm-hmm. when I was crawling, I would crawl like I was in the army or something and just got injured. Um, so they took me to the doctor, and then that's when the doctor said, your son might not be able to walk or talk, and he needs to go to physical therapy. He has cerebral palsy. And so when they were with the physical therapist, they realized that the physical therapists were, um, my mom described it, like rough-ish, rough-ish with the kids, like in a medically professional sense. But my mom was like, that seems a little rough. Why Why do you guys do those type of drills or, or stuff, you know, um, physically? And, and, and the, the physical therapists were like, we have to be a little rougher with the kids. And rough might not be the right word, but then um, they said because the parents typically do coddle the kids and they need this for their muscle and physical and social development, all of it. Mm. And, and so my parents were like, huh, okay. And so, yeah, they never fully coddled me. I mean, I was a perfect kid. I'm just kidding. So they didn't have to do too much discipline. No, I'm just kidding. But no, it, it was uh, normal to me. Um, yeah, they, they made sure that 
I figured problems out, uh, ones that would arise with disabilities. And, and they were there if I absolutely needed help. It's, it's irresponsible, I think that's the right word, uh, to, to assume that people with disabilities don't need any help. Sometimes they do, and that's not them giving up or being weak, and that's not me. It's just I know when I need help, and I know when I don't. And they made sure to let me figure those boundaries out, yeah. um, which is good. I, that would be my advice to any parent with someone with dis- a disability. Every disability is different um, and every situation um, requires, you know, uh, creative, I guess, solutions. But um, in my case, and in most cases, the parents, their voice influences how me as the kid thinks about my self-esteem and, and uh, they didn't let me play the victim, which is great because again, disability is not a bad thing. So Cody, you're obviously a very athletic guy, and it sounds like athletics were a big part of your childhood as well. Doing some research on you, I know you played baseball throughout, and you played on your high school baseball team, and you competed for the United States in the javelin at the Paralympics in Rio of 2016. Have athletics always been an outlet for you? Is that something you gravitated towards at a young age? hundred percent. I think I was born with a baseball in hands, or at least my dad put one yeah. in it. The earliest picture, at least that I've seen of myself, is in a Dodger baseball uniform with the with the glove and the ball. Uh, we're a huge Los Angeles Dodgers fan. I'm, I'm sorry if you're a Seattle Mariners fan. You, you want to know something, Cody? It's even worse. I'm a San Francisco Giants fan. Oh, uh, but hey, <laughs> it's okay. We could, there's still love. You guys are a good team this year. Good team this year. Yeah, I, I, I've actually become a huge Mariners fan since li- since moving up here to Seattle yeah. 15, 16 years ago. So I, I do root for the Mariners. But yes, my childhood, I'm a big Bay Area sports fan. I grew up in Southern Oregon and my dad's from the Bay Area. So I was a big 49ers fan and Giants yeah, fan. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I, yeah, my dad did the old man softball. Um, I like to make fun of him. He's awesome. Yeah, he, he, he does a lot of cool things. Um, but he was in or on a uh, like softball team when I was three or four. And I loved going to the games. And I loved being a part of that and then going to grab pizza afterward. And it was like peanuts all over the... It was one of those like old, not dirty, but messy kind of pizza places. Like you said, mm-hmm. peanuts all over the floor. Yeah. And, Love those. And the just best like time. live music. It's so cool. And so I wanted to do that. And I wanted to be like my dad in that aspect. And and so I had to figure out how to play baseball. And my parents taught me. They didn't let me give up. My coaches didn't. And uh, yeah, sports always an outlet, um, especially as a way to show that, hey, just because you have a disability doesn't mean you're bound to your house or nothing. You, you know, like I could still live a life like anyone else. or hopefully try to live an even fuller life because some people take themselves out of life before they even try. I'm like, I'm going to try. I'm not going to give up before I even start. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well said. So I did read where there was an article in the LA times that actually featured your baseball exploits while playing in high school. And that that led you to discovering the sport of javelin, which ultimately earn you the opportunity to represent the U.S. in the Paralympics. Can you share a little bit about that path? How did that happen? How did, how did the sport of javelin come yeah. to you? And then how did you begin that pursuit to actually become a Paralympian? I love it. How long do we have? Because I can we talk got, We got all the time, man. This is, this is your world, Cody. We're just living in it, man. Excellent question. I love this. This is a great podcast. So I was... 17 at the time, uh, my senior year in high school, 
and I, I was able to make my freshman team. Thought I was going to get cuts after freshman because I'll, I'll paint on this picture of myself. Um, people were starting to get better than me in high school. Growing up, I was would make all-star teams, but around like eighth grade, ninth grade, it got more competitive. And and the coach of my high school team uh, didn't coddle me either. He he um, like respected the fact that I had disability and played, but he treated me like a player. His name's Coach Labelle. He's one of those people I just like. I'm going to like respect, I guess, for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. One of those type of coaches. Really cool. I'll answer your question for the LA Times, but it kind of, this is all leading up to it. Like I'll condense four years of my life, maybe more into a couple minutes. And so freshman year, um, they were going to cut me. I thought, because they all, all the coaches came out and took me out of practice. I was in the weight room and they all come out and I was like, I'm not in trouble. I don't think I did anything wrong. I think I'm going to get cut. And he starts out saying, Cody, we're all dealt certain uh, cards in life. And, and you were not, you know, dealt the physical card um, so much. And uh, he said, based on that, I'd have to cut you. And I was nervous, but luckily he didn't end his sentence there. He said, however, I love your attitude. I love your knowledge. I love your work ethic. And I want you on varsity, actually, like starting right now. So uh-huh. I thought I was going to get cut, but yeah. he promoted me to varsity. And he had a special role for me. I knew my place on the team. I was more of a, I still was hundred percent an athlete, but my role during games was more on the coaching side and mm-hmm. I loved it. It was so cool. I was able to speak, you know, life into my teammates, encourage them, help tutor them and um, still get better at baseball myself and still play a sport that I loved, you know, on a good team. And so then fast forward senior year, my coach sets up an interview with the LA Times to do a newspaper article. There's also a YouTube video attached with it called A Baseball Player That Offers Inspiration. Uh, because something that I think I forgot to explain to the listeners and, and, and the people just kind of interacting with the podcast is that um, I play baseball differently because of my disability. So I can't catch or throw with my left hand. So I catch and throw with my right hand. Got it. Yeah. And so growing up, I would catch the ball with my right, take the glove off, get the ball and then throw, which is really cool. And I did that in high school as well. Um, And I did it pretty consistently. That's how I had to play. But however, one day growing up, I learned how to play baseball totally one handed. Um, I have my left hand and can use it kind of, but I could play baseball with my left hand behind my back where I would catch the ball with my right hand, flip the ball up in the air, flip the glove off, get the ball and throw. And it was, it's really cool, right? It's really cool. And so what my, when my coach saw that, cause I don't like to do it cause it seemed a little show offy cause it's like an ESPN highlight reel every time. <laughs> um, get you on top 10, get you on sports center top 10. That would be so cool. I've seen some other, you know, kids now with CP doing similar stuff. And it's like, that's awesome. Because, you know, I thought I was the only one at first. Um, there was one professional athlete, Jim Abbott, that Jim I Abbott. modeled it after. And I talk about that in the article. Okay. And, I was actually going to bring that up when you were talking yeah. about that. It reminds because yeah. I remember I remember Jim Abbott. I remember watching him as a, as a kid pitch. And yeah, for those unfamiliar, he was born without a hand. Yeah, on, on one arm. So he would do do kind of the same, right? He would have his glove, I think, on kind of the stump. He would throw and then put, right, it, back put it back on, put the glove on, and so he could field. And yeah, yeah, the dude was a stud too. Yeah. What like a, I think an Olympian, World Baseball Classic. Yeah, oh yeah, he was he was legit. Yeah, he was major no league hitter. major league pitcher, yeah. like you said. I mean, he reached the yeah. highest levels of the sport. 
Yeah. And then I recently found out there might have been an even older gentleman like way on called Jim Gray. I don't know okay. if you've ever heard of Jim mm-hmm. Gray. I have not. Feel free to look him up. Um, but I heard he was a stud too with one arm. Mm-hmm. But uh, fun fact, Jim Abbott, such a nice guy. Um, when the article came out, uh, reached out to me. and He came to my last high school game, actually, a playoff game. He drove out, signed a baseball for me, oh, and it was awesome. really cool. It was special. So um, 17, now on varsity. I'm rambling, but hopefully you guys are tracked with me. Yep, thought I was going to cut now on varsity, doing yep. the glove flip. My coach gets the LA Times. They come out and film and talk about my glove flip. And that has been released, and I believe, in like March of 2013 or, or something like that or around there. And then out of nowhere, other people start to ask for interviews, like, you know, smaller uh, reporters and whatnot. Uh, Time Warner Cable did something, which is really cool. One of the coolest things, though, came from the coach, uh, the, the high performance director of the Paralympic track and field team, Kathy Sellers. She saw my article, saw that I was disabled and reached out to my uh, to Coach LaBelle saying, hey, he should throw the javelin. He throws the baseball. Well, when I was told that, I was like, that sounds amazing. I had two questions, though. I'm like, what's a javelin (laughs) and what are the Paralympics? I had no idea, Ryan. I had no idea what those two things are because um, what, what was this like eight years ago? Like the Paralympics still are not a household name as much as the Olympics in the United States which blows my mind because it's the second or third largest sporting event in the world. Yeah, it's a big and, deal. Um, it's, it's always at the same venue as the Olympics, pretty much right after, right? Usually the yeah, Olympics yeah. and then immediately followed by the Paralympics. Yeah. Two weeks. Yeah, so she said, hey, you should throw. And then when I learned that the javelin was a giant spear, I was hooked. I'm like, who doesn't want to throw a giant spear? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? And uh, You really are so, Captain America on the right side with that. That's like, like yeah, gladiator yeah, style. Like, ah. yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, so I was still in high school at the time, finishing up. Uh, she also mentioned the sport of discus, which is mm-hmm. the giant metal frisbee thing. Yeah. Um, and in high school, there's only... In California, at least, I think Oregon's different, which is nice, which is why a lot of good javelin throwers come from Oregon because they could throw in high school. California doesn't allow javelin in high school. So I started throwing the discus a little bit. Um, Did okay. My coach is really cool. Uh, Mike Torrey himself. It was close to being Olympian. Um, And then I go to Cal Lutheran for college the next year. And uh, that's when everything kind of started working, putting together. Um, I didn't know if I would be NCAA eligible, but another coach, uh, um, you know, took a chance on me, let me on the team, let me to train, coach Lee, and I appreciate that. I learned from my coach, Justin, um, how to throw the javelin. So once I got to Kalu, that's when I started throwing the javelin. I kind of gave up discus because internationally, I wasn't going to do what I needed to do. I broke the American record in discus, but internationally... I was like 50, 60 feet off, which is a lot. Uh, um, but javelin, I had some promise. Turns out I know how to throw it. <laughs> yeah, you do. So talk to me about that. That's yeah. a huge childhood dream for so many people to represent their country in the Olympics. Can you describe the feeling you had when you entered that stadium in Rio to compete yeah. in the Paralympics? You just asked the question about the favorite day of my life and also the longest day 
Oh, you're getting me so excited. I'm so happy. It's, this, oh, this is so cool. So I'll explain it, but I got to back up a little just to add to more of the, um, the, the enjoyment. So you guys could hopefully kind of feel the excitement I did. Mm-hmm. So in how it works for the Paralympics for track and field to make the team is they have a team trials in the U.S. where you compete against everyone trying to make the Paralympic team. And in 2016, it was in North Carolina around the 4th of July, a little bit before. And at that time, I was ranked, I think, fifth in the world for javelin uh, for my ca- uh, for my classification. And to quickly give a little bit more info so, so you guys are aware, uh, the Paralympics isn't just broken up male and female and then your mm-hmm. sport like the Olympics are. Because there are so many different disabilities in yeah. the Paralympics, it's the you know it's the Olympics for athletes with disabilities. It's not the Special Olympics either, which is a great event, but it, it's its own its own thing. Uh, like there's wheelchair um, athletes, there's visually impaired athletes, uh, people with amputees, you, you name it. And so um, you have to get medically classified to yeah. kind of be put in your different categories. So there's mm-hmm. so many. When you say men's javelin, well, then you have to ask seated javelin or standing javelin, which I do standing, I'm ambulatory. And then you have to ask like what disability, what number, what class and so on. I'm an F38, which just means high functioning cerebral palsy, stroke or TBI. So traumatic brain injury. So those are the athletes I compete against. Okay. But when you're at trials, you compete against every other, you compete against everyone. So I was competing against all the other males to make the team. And what would happen for trials to make the team is they rank you by standard. So each classification has an A and B standard. And A standard is simply pretty much third place in the world the previous year. So just to make it simple, my A standard that year was like 45 meters. Mm-hmm. And um, so if I hit 45 meters and had a hundred percent standard, I would be near the front of the line, but say someone that was running or, or sprinting, they hit 99% of their standard. And I only hit 95% of my standard, even though I'm not a runner, they would be ahead of the line. Of me. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Ryan? The, like yeah. the team mm-hmm. selection. And so, I mean, confusing, but yes, I'm tracking you at the same time. Yeah, I mean, yeah like you said. But, I mean, to, well, it's like you said, much different than, I mean, it's pretty straightforward in, in traditional Olympics, right? You said men, women, yeah. and depending on the sport or the event, the top three qualify, and it's, it's that easy. And yeah. uh, obviously a lot a lot more factors with the Paralympics, as, as you just described. Different. It's, yeah. it's basically you compete against your standard, yeah. and you rank the percentage of the standard, and there's the team based on how many spots. And so when I competed, I got 92% of the standard, which is pretty, which is good. To be great, you have to get like 96 or above. So my name, actually, this is a crazy part, and confuses people when you're like, Cody, you went to Rio. How did this happen? So when they had team selection, Ryan, my name was not called. I didn't make it mm. at trials. Uh, they read the list of all the men athletes, male athletes, and my name was not on it. How so was, I what, away. what were you feeling at that moment when you, oh, you, it was, when you don't see your name, I should say? It, it was... That was a rough go about it. I mean, I think I'm pretty good with handling adversity, you know, just growing up disabled there is adversity but 
it was, you know, my dream for like the previous three years. And I would train like five, six days a week, you know, a couple hours a day and I would give up some stuff. And uh, yeah, it was, it wasn't the easiest of feelings, um, but it was definitely one I'm grateful for uh, because you learn from those moments. You, you learn about hope, you learn about resiliency, you learn about growth and when when it's tough when it's challenging if things are always easy it's tough to grow and then it even leads to a cooler story in my opinion because a couple of months later i get a phone call from kathy sellers the same coach that told me about the javelin she said cody russia the doping scandal happened do you want to be one of seven athletes to join team usa Mm -hmm. your plane is going to leave in 10 days 10 days. I was like, what's going on? Um, And so I was like, uh, I was speechless. I was like, can I call you back? I was going to obviously say yes. But then I call my mom. She starts crying. I start crying. It's a beautiful moment. I call my dad. He doesn't pick up at all. But I'm like, (laughs) finally, though, he he picks up and he's like, Cody, that's so cool. My my dad's great. I just just love uh, messing with him. And then I call Kathy back. I'm like, yes, of course. And so that was after two months of like not training and dealing with some injuries. But, you you know, you got to do what you got to do. And so 10 days later, I'm on a plane to Rio, got all my gear, all the cool Nike stuff. I got the the hats and whatnot. um, It was incredible. And then to tell you about opening ceremony i don't know if you've ever like been told like the behind the scenes it's it takes a lot on the athletes believe it or not some athletes unfortunately can't go uh if they compete a day or two after because of how long the day is so we got ready in our ralph Lauren, uh you know opening day ceremony stuff at about two o'clock we had to be ready by two to get on the bus the bus we drove about I believe an hour to the um, the stadium, and unfortunately, in my opinion, and and they could have tried, but Rio wasn't the venues were not set up for people with disabilities. But uh, some of the venues they, they they didn't really think about wheelchair access or walking, and so we had to walk about half a mile uphill or a spiral just to get to the venue. Um, and then, uh, we like, we're, we're, it, it takes a while to stage all the athletes and you have to wait and whatnot. So it was probably like four or five hours of just waiting and standing if I'm doing my math correctly. And there wasn't enough chairs. So I was standing for five hours and I don't stand much like I'm not supposed to. I'm like, and then I'm allergic to everything. And, um, they brought snacks but there wasn't a, like anything I could eat and it was just a little snack. So I like, I'm like dying, like basically skipped dinner at this point and we're still waiting and waiting. And uh, I get in line though. Once I get in line, like lined up, like walking the stadium, like I don't care how hungry or tired I am. Right. Like the excitement was building. And then I get in that tunnel, right. Um, right before they call Estados Unidos, United States of America. I think it was a Stasino. I forget what it is in Portuguese. That was Spanish. Uh, it was something, something similar. Similar to, right. Yeah. And then uh, I just remember jumping up and down, looking at the flag. Normally, I'm sitting on the couch eating chips, watching the flag in front of me, right? And I'm behind the flag. I'm supporting the team. Like, I'm 
this is like what? Like um, I just surreal. I mean, did it almost feel like it wasn't? Yeah, kind of like dreamlike. Dreamlike, hundred percent. Like like on a different planet or something. Like and then just the build up. And I turned to my my teammate next to me, Akil, who was in the same boat. He was one of the seven. I'm like, dude, we made it. Can you believe we made it? And they call the United States of America. We walk out, and the crowd just goes nuts. We're in 40,000 crowd, you know, pre-COVID. The only thing we had to worry about was was Zika, but that virus wasn't too much of a that. big deal. Yeah, that, that seems and, like yeah, it pales in comparison to what we're dealing with now, right? Zika yeah. was such a huge deal during Rio. I remember that. And then you yeah, fast forward but, to COVID and where we are now. Yeah, it's like uh, yeah, it, it, it and, um, Zika virus. Zika, yeah. And then I'm just walking around the stadium hearing people chant USA from all parts of the world in Brazil. I, I wanted to be in the moment, so I didn't film actually walking. I only took pictures right before. I think I cried like three or four times out of wow. pure joy. I believe and it. that's okay. To, it's okay to cry when you're happy. Oh, and It's the best kind and, of cry. Yeah. And just seeing that the show of opening ceremony and the fireworks. I love fireworks. It was, it was by far, yeah, top, top three day in my life, maybe top one. And then, then we, we, we leave my bus takes a couple of wrong turns. Doesn't get back to the village till like one in the morning. That's when I eat dinner is that one in the morning dinner. So that's why I'm like, I love the day. It was so worth it, but it takes a lot out. I didn't eat for like 10, 12 hours, which, yeah. you know, Comparison to some people who want to get one meal a day, you know, in their everyday life, I can't complain, but it was a long day. Luckily, I had time to recover. I had like 10 days um, of, you know, rest and training until I competed. But that's why if you compete the next day, your coaches recommend that you don't go, which is unfortunate because it's one of the coolest experiences ever. I, I, can, I can only imagine. And, and I have read that, 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 that some athletes do not participate in opening ceremonies for those exact reasons. But it does seem like that would be such a, a memorable life moment that really can't be replicated. And I suppose can be duplicated if you compete in more than one Olympics, but probably nothing like the first time uh, yeah. of, of, of walking out onto that stadium. One of my favorite parts of that story you just said is that you actually did not film anything because you wanted to be in the moment. And I think that's so important and so powerful. It's so easy. And I, I, my guilty as charged right here, I'll get wrapped up a lot of times, like trying to capture something and times I'm like, just, just soak it in, take the, take the mental picture and memories yeah. and, and really just sit with it and be present. So I think that's really cool that you did that and that it remains so vivid because of that. I saw a YouTube video that you made and you it was you were giving a, a talk to a group of students and it looked like maybe it was a, a promotional video. Was it the Ready Set Gold? I think was was is that an organization that, that Yeah, they partner Olympians and Paralympians with really any school that needs it and they talk about fitness and health and nutrition and stuff like that. Oh. Also help fifth graders prep for the, the fitness test. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So in that video that you did with Ready, Set, Gold, you really honed in on the importance of having hope. Yeah. What does the power of hope mean to you? Oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, um, I'm, a, I'm a, a man of faith, so that's mainly where my hope stands from. But also just 
in that video, I talked about having a, a candlelight of hope, I think. And I know it's a weird phrase, just a candlelight of hope. But if you, if you look at a candle, like it's so small, but you can see it. Our eyes are designed. You can see that light for, for a, like, I think if all the weather's clear, you can see just one candle from like a mile away or something, like our football fields away, like something ridiculous, right? And so if you just have hope, this idea that something good could happen in the future, something good could happen out of something bad, other people could see it, other people could feel that hope too. And uh, you might like this reference, it could catch fire and start like a <laughs> wildfire of hope, you know? Again, uh, I see what you did there. Say it with the whole firefighter thing. And then you got something that everyone could see and everyone could be a part of. And for me, hope got me through those two months of not making the team. I, I, I can't tell you fully, but I just like had this thought, this feeling that I was going to make the team. Hmm. I, it, it made no logical sense, but my, I had this, this small bit of hope, even though, you know, still sad and still the reality was I didn't make the team. For those two months that I wasn't on it, I still had this little part of me saying, Cody, don't give up all hope. Like, still plan on going to Rio. And uh, I think sometimes, hopefully, and whatever your listeners, people are going through what you're going through, I'm going through, right? Sometimes we think all hope is lost. And uh, it's not. Um, as long as you have just a little bit, you could be pressed up against the wall, everything going wrong. But if you just have this little, little, little piece of hope, you can still pull through and you can still re-spark something bigger in you. And then you could overcome a whole lot more. But just don't let that candle, that candle out of hope go out. Well said. Cody, I've had multiple discussions with guests on my podcast on the importance of mental health. And yeah. as an athlete, I know you put a lot of time into being physically capable of performing at a high level. How do you keep yourself mentally fit? Great question. So I have talked to a few sports psychologists. I want to really be more regular with that because that's really good for performance. And when I was when when I went through this past years of training for Tokyo, you know, unfortunately, I didn't make Tokyo, but that, that, you know, that's that's another thing about how do you mentally overcome not making a team? What I learned, though, in the process of physically training is recovery is almost like is like half your training uh, is recovering your body. So you mm -hmm. get prepared for the next day. And for me, maybe mental health is almost like mental recovery days, I guess, in a way. And so for me, they're related. Um, whenever I'm having a bad day, I go out to the park and play pickleball. For me, pickleball helps clear my mind. Or, or I, when I was down at the Olympic Training Center before COVID hit, my friends and I uh, that were training down there, we'd play ping pong. Like anything simple for me, that's my key to you know having a little something active, get the endorphins, the actual I don't know what whatever's in your body. Uh, it's just active and go and get the blood pumping, and and that helps. But it's it's needed in professional sports. If you're not mentally healthy, you could be the, the best physical shape, but someone that's mentally sharp could beat you. Uh, it's funny you bring up pickleball. That's a big yeah. firehouse sport. We've, no we play way. a fair amount of pickleball uh, when we awesome. have some downtime as a as a crew at the station. We just pull the rigs out and we have the the bay. Uh, the floor is lined with a pickleball court, and 
No way. Yeah, we, I've, I've honed my pickleball skills at the first That's awesome. Yeah. Are you more of like a power shot or like do you uh, put some spin on it? A little yeah, you know, I come from a tennis background. Actually, yeah. I played tennis growing up and I, in fact, I played tennis in college. And so, yes, I definitely play it. As I'm learning the sport of pickleball more, sometimes to a detriment because I just try to drive the ball and hit these big yeah. ground strokes. And as I've learned the game, I, you know, recognize it's more about living in the kitchen and dinking and touch. And so I'm trying oh, to adapt to that, but sometimes the old just tennis mindset of me comes out and I try to overpower and hit these big ground strokes and usually half the time it doesn't work somebody at the net just you know it's a <laughs> so it. it is yeah. it's a it's it's a, it's a fun sport uh, Cody for those looking to overcome an obstacle uh, yet feel like the deck is stacked against them what's your message yeah excellent question and for me I don't know if this is a coin principle probably is but I call it the what if principle or the what if question. Um, it's a question we all ask, and especially in that scenario, you know, the stacks, you feel, you feel like the world's against you. And so in that mindset, I feel like most of us ask the question, well, what if everything goes wrong? Right. Well, what if this doesn't work out? Well, what if I get hurt worse? What if they break my trust again? What if, what if, what if? And we're in like the camp of the negative. What if everything, you know, fails? And then you just kind of act like you've already lost. But the same question could be asked on the opposite spectrum. And you don't have to answer. It's literally, it takes the same amount of effort. It's the same question. And all you have to do is ask, well, what if things go right? That's all. And that's the start. That's the start to wanting to get that life that you are are after realizing that not everything is against you, where sometimes things in reality are against you or or hard in life. You can ask, hey, what if things go right? And that leads to, and I think this is actually a psychological term, a growth mindset Mm -hmm. instead of a fixed mindset where you think, well, this is where I'm stuck in. Um, instead you can be like, well, what if I get better? What if life improves? What if I could smile today? And aren't those more fun questions, Ryan, to ask? And so that's kind of my, 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 the starting question to, to your question is we'll start with the, what if look and self-evaluate where you are at. And if you're always in the, what if everything goes wrong, maybe you need to practice just you know, catching yourself uh, every day and don't get mad at yourself. You don't have to, you know, make yourself feel guilty, but ask, start to just kind of ask without even having an answer. Like I said, what if things go right? That That's my biggest thing. And that helps a lot. Um, I've told kids this, I've told adults this, I talk about my three keys to success. And the third of one is related to that. What if question and it's live like you can. Um, and I have to preface I tell the, my, so I have a 10 year old little brother. I know how their brain works. They're like, wait, he just told me I could do stuff. And I'm like, not do whatever you want to do. Like I'm saying, not, I'm not saying eat a thousand pounds of ice cream tonight because yeah. that's not responsible, but living like you can means having that mindset like, wait, it is possible. So why don't I at least try? And then when you at least try to do things that, that seem, possible or even a little bit out of your reach you're able to get better and better and better so the live like you can aspect with the what if that's my those are my two cents i could go on about that's great it's great you're 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 pretty good at this stuff uh (laughs) i can see why you do the motivational speaking man uh, i love it i'm I'm nodding along with everything that you're saying (laughs) 
What is next for Cody Jones? You talked about missing out on the Tokyo Paralympics. You're what, 25, you said? Yeah, 25. So still a young guy. You qualified for Rio five years ago. Are future Paralympics still in your your mindset? Is that still very much a a part of who you are and what you're training for? What, What do you see on the horizon for you? Yeah. 100%. 100%. So it was it was unfortunate I didn't make Tokyo, but here's kind of that that positive spin, I guess, in action. Uh, I already processed the, that loss. 100%, yes, I'm still training for Paris 2024. And my ultimate goal is LA 2028. I'll be yeah, 32 at the time, games. which is still doable to be a competitive athlete. And it's in my home. It's like yes. my backyard. It's oh. like an hour away. Um, so I want, I want to be competing in front of, you know, the home crowd, have everyone come out. You can even come out. In uh, I, I, I will be there for sure. If you qualify yeah, like for cool. the LA Paralympics. So fun fact, LA and Paris both had really strong bids in 2024 and the bid committee did something that they never did before. It was, they gave more money to LA to extend it for years and then awarded Paris in 2024. I, I kind of remember that. Now that you yeah. I, now that you mention it, I remember reading about that because it's the hundredth anniversary from the nineteen twenty four Lund era Paris game. Mm. Yeah, anyway. yeah, um, something like that. But yeah, so still playing. And there's the cool thing is there's other milestones or other big competitions along the way. So like next year, there's World Championships. They're back in Japan. Twenty twenty three, there's Para Pan Ams, which is all the Americas. That's mm-hmm. Chile, I think. And um, a bunch of other fun stuff. So, yeah, that's the goal. Personally speaking, find a girlfriend, move out of the house. (laughs) And um, hopefully this isn't a shameless plug, but I wrote a children's book, uh, a picture book called Henry Makes It On Top. And so hopefully that takes off. It's a book about disabilities written and illustrated by people with disabilities. So that's that's on uh, Amazon. Oh, if that was a shameless cool. plug, no, feel free hey, to edit no, plug that away. Out. I mean, that's part of the uh, that's that's utilize the platforms that you have. What what was the name of the book again? Uh, Henry Henry makes it on top. So Henry he, makes it um, on top. Okay. Yeah, he's a student in a wheelchair that has to find creative ways to join his class on this really big tall mountain. So the illustrator is autistic and uh, deaf, but I met him through my church. He's so talented at. Um, the illustrations. I can't draw at all, Ryan. So I do stick figures, and even that, them, they turn out like blobs. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> but I love writing. I love speaking. I love words, and so that's how I was able to get to rhyme. Uh, the kids love it. It's meant for like first and second graders, but some adults are at that reading level too. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so they they like the pictures. So yeah, it'll, that, that's it'll the goal. Be perfect. I'll have to get yeah. that for my son. I'll, yeah, I'll, go, order, I'll awesome. go order a copy from Amazon. I appreciate cool. that, Ryan. That's, that's so cool. cool. So yeah, yeah, sounds like it sounds like plenty going on. So plenty of plenty of athletics in your future still. Speaking, writing. Yeah, yeah you keep yourself busy. Trying to. I've got a few last questions for you, Cody. I just want you to kind of pop whatever comes into mind. Um, like quick? Part- is this, yeah. This is like rapid fire? I mean, yeah, relatively rapid. Exactly. Yes, yes. An individual you look up to or admire and why? My uh, parents, I think that's the normal answer. Um, but my mom, uh, she has you know her own health things and she deals with that. And my parents also restarted 
being parents, I mean, not really, that sounds weird, but 10 years ago, we got a random phone call and an hour later we had a baby mm-hmm. um, from the family. My cousin didn't make best choices. And um, now I have a brother, you know, the last 10 years. So they adopted your brother. That's cool. Yeah. And my younger sister is 22. So there's like a huge age gap. And so I respect that they were willing to redo all that. They thought they were done with kids and, uh, or at least young kids. And, uh, yeah, so I respect their heart in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a, you know, my parents did similar, not through adoption, but they, my older sister and I are four years apart. And then there's a nine year gap and they decided yeah. to have two more. Uh, so there's nice. 17, 17 years actually between my two sisters, between my oldest and my youngest. And I, it does, it takes a, a special, some, it takes special people to be able to do that. Um, yeah. so I can, uh, but- I can, I can, I can imagine your parents have that. Cause I know, I know my parents, the kind of hearts that they have. So. Yeah. Sure. Isn't it kind of cool being the older child or like the, it's like your older brother, but you're also like mm-hmm. a parent like. Yeah, I know. No, I, I know what you're, I know what you're saying. I've, and I've talked a lot about that. I have a different kind of relationship with my two younger siblings. Cause I'm so much older than I do. My older sister, we have more of a true sibling relationship. And while I have that with my younger ones, yeah, it is almost this, parental kind of right like yeah. i always looked at them in more of this protective way and you know babysat yeah. them a lot and yeah so it is almost like it's Which, sibling, but it's also a little bit almost <laughs> almost parental it, it it does change the dynamics a little bit it's, yeah. it's cool which could get a little times frustrating when i'm like i'm 26 almost trying to figure out life i don't yeah. want to be a, a, a parent right now yeah. with my brother but i love him so much that overshadows most sure. of that so yeah. sure a non-living thing you cannot live without? Uh, my Bible. I don't know if, if like faith is all right to talk to you. But, Anything's uh, all right to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, honestly, 100%. I, I know I've already read most of it, but I need that reminder every day. Hmm. Um, other than that, too, probably um, uh, my javelin. Not going to lie. If I want to yeah. do my sport, I got to have a javelin. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You are happiest when? I'm happiest when I'm hanging out and doing something with my friends, whether it's board games, whether it's, like I said, pickleball or ping pong. I love being active uh, with the people that I care about. Jumping on the trampoline, my little yep. brother. Those are good moments. Yeah. Those are the best. Yeah. You have to do something you're scared to do. What is your process of quieting that fear and proceeding oh. anyways? Yeah, um, it's kind of that that what if principle, and then recognizing, well, I've gotten through life so far, so what's you know one more one more leap of faith. Yep. Also, other people sometimes have done the scary things and they survived, and um, I got to trust that I'll survive too. All right, final question: What does being brave mean to Cody Jones? That's excellent question. Being brave, it is. You know, having those feelings of being scared, but still doing uh, the right action at the right time or even like immediately. Yeah, it's being scared, but doing the right action immediately. Cody, it has been a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you a bit and your story. You are certainly an inspiration and I wish you all the luck in the future, both with uh, the Javelin and, and future major competitions with this children's book, once again, for 
doesn't want to check it out, it is Henry Makes It On Top, written by Cody Jones and illustrated by a handful of others with disabilities, uh, with your public speaking. I, I, I just wish you well in all your future endeavors. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely, my man. Appreciate that. See you around. Thanks. That's a wrap on episode 23 with Cody Jones. Thanks again to Cody for joining me on The Bravest Kind and sharing his inspiring story. To learn more about Cody, his track and field achievements, and what he has to offer in the world of public speaking, you can visit his website at CodyMichaelJones.com. That's C-O-D-Y. M-I-C-H-A-E-L-J-O-N-E-S dot com. The children's book he authored, Henry Makes It On Top, can be found on Amazon. To learn more about what's going on in my world, you can visit my website at ryanshafer.com. That's R-Y-A-N-S-H-E-A-F-F-E-R dot com. One final reminder to share, rate, and subscribe to The Bravest Kind with Ryan Schaefer. We'll be back at it next week with another fearless guest. Until then, continue to be brave in your own lives.